Welcome to another episode of Adding Up, the podcast. I'm your host, Serena Dot Ryan. I'm dedicated to sharing my journey as I become debt-free and give my family financial freedom. I'm sharing my financial mistakes, my wins, and well, some of my terrible mistakes. But the positive that comes out of all of this, you'll always get my learning that comes along the way. In this episode, I'm sharing the process I'm going through to educate myself on finance. I am someone who has really struggled with understanding finance. It has been a source of embarrassment and I have paid the financial price for that by not being able to question those giving me advice. By not questioning the advice I've been given, I haven't been able to make the best choices around my finance. This is not the fault of those giving the advice, but rather I take ownership that I needed to get better educated and know that I'm someone who resonates more strongly through lived experiences and sought out to learn as much as I possibly could. For me, this is not a quick or easy thing, but it has been a consistent progress. And I feel like I've got to a stage where I have gained so much learning. We're now up to episode 29 of this podcast, and it's a great opportunity for me to share my favorite reading. If you're someone out there wanting to get better educated around finance, I'd like to think that if you're listening to this podcast around the published time, we're about 10 days out from Christmas. You could drop some really subtle hints to those around you on some books they could buy for you and pop under the Christmas tree. Financial education can be exciting. I feel like it has enlightened me in so many ways. It's exciting. I'm going to share with you a few of my highlights. It was interesting preparing for this podcast. I started to list out all the books I have read over the last 18 months to two years. And I was pleasantly surprised. I tend to consume at least one to two books a month, which is not as much as some, but thanks to listening to podcasts as well as reading books, my book consumption has gone down a little. There is so much for me to contain in this episode. I'm going to dedicate a separate episode of this podcast to talking about my favorite podcasts. This particular episode is very much going to be focused on my favorite books that can be consumed, most of them as audible books, but also as physical books. There is so much joy I get from completely disconnecting from technology and sitting down with a good book. And for someone who for a couple of years ceased reading books after being a self-confessed bookworm, I can tell you the reason why I stopped reading books for a while. Two reasons. One, I became a mum and in the process of becoming a parent and having sleepless nights, every time I sat down with a book, literally I sat still, I would fall asleep. I gave up reading books. And the second thing for me, which has contributed to me having less books, is purchasing them. That cost 
was something that I had cut out of the budget for quite some time. Now I have a balance of borrowing books from the library and buying the physical books. My indulgence, which is like my treat to myself at the moment, especially, is being able to buy physical books through inspiration from a lovely friend who made a comment in this Facebook group that I'm in. It was around the launch of a friend's book that rather than ordering it online, she was going out of her way to go into her local independent bookstore to order the book. I thought that would be a fun, nice idea. All within my budget, I like the idea of going in and supporting a local bookstore. It's become a fun thing for me. I'm ordering one book at a time. If it's not on the shelf, it becomes four to six weeks of waiting for the book with a dual benefit. It curbs my expenditure on the books. That added degree of difficulty to get the book is not a bad thing in my case because stepping into the bookstore and ordering it and it taking a while for it to come in means I'm not spending too much and I have the anticipation of waiting for the book to arrive. The most recent book that I ordered, I was told it was going to take eight weeks to come in all the way from Canada. And amazingly, it took three weeks. I had mixed excitement when the book arrived because it was like, oh, wow, it came in now three weeks and I was expecting it to be here in another five weeks. So I ordered another book. I've been told it's going to take four to six weeks to arrive. It was a little hit for me to take on the budget, but I'm not too upset. I'm adjusting my budget because my alternative at the moment would be spending that money, say, on a, a dress or shoes or potentially nothing, just putting it straight into savings. I'm finding rather than rushing to spend the money on anything, the great satisfaction I get out of getting the physical book and supporting a author by buying the book it's this double benefit, actually it's multiplied benefit because I'm ordering a book at a local bookstore, which is keeping someone employed at that bookstore. And the author I'd like to think is getting a better cut on the book purchase than say ordering it online. Now I could be wrong, but I like to think that that is actually helping more so and helping more people by buying the book in that way. It was kind of fun. Getting into my books and the books that I love, before I jump into that, I did promise in the last episode, episode 28 of the Adding Up podcast, that I would give an update around Christmas and my Christmas planning and budgeting that I have been talking about in the last couple of episodes of the podcast. Christmas can be a real financial challenge for anyone who is financially challenged. And in my case, that is absolutely me. This is my very first Christmas without a credit card at all. And this has required a bit more planning than usual. And it has required me to be disciplined when I could easily go and spend more money. I have been working hard at reminding myself daily on the debt journey and my debt progress. If I overspend, I'm taking away the opportunity for me to clear the debt as quickly as I would like to. It is a constant balance, clearing debt and having a life and being able to spoil people around me, which I love to do. Knowing that there is an opportunity to focus on what is really important at Christmas 
I've been having open conversations with my husband, with my mum, with my mother-in-law and other family members as well about the value of spending time together and that presence with each other is much more valuable than physical presence that will clutter up our homes and not necessarily give us the joy we're seeking. It's with this in mind, the very first Christmas occasion we had as a family, well, because there's multiple, I'm from a large family and so is my husband, we had our first family gathering last Sunday. There was a Kris Kringle. There was a $20 limit, got to buy one present instead of multiple presents for everyone. It turned out to be a great hit. I love the gift I was given, very personal touch, a polka dot scarf. I don't often refer to it but my middle name is Dorothy and I'm referred to as Dot. And I do have quite a Dot collection in my wardrobe. I love wearing Dots. It's got a strong family, personal meaning for me. A Dot scarf for me was such a personalized, beautiful gift. And I love how everyone stuck to the limit and there were some super thoughtful gifts. It's the thought and the presence with family that is most important at Christmas. And it was great to have a very special family occasion coming together, celebrating family. Now, the challenge I have with my husband, as we are about 10 days away from Christmas, we had a heart-to-heart conversation about getting gifts for each other, and we set a present limit at $30 each. And the aim is to be super creative with that $30 and personalized, because I thought about it. Do we not get gifts at all? I like the opportunity to have dedicated time thinking about my husband and then getting him a personalized gift. There was a good caveat we put in place as well. No gift cards. This is an exercise in thinking of the other person and not blowing out the budget in the process because it can be easy to buy anything, but not so easy. In fact, challenging, it will challenge creativity to buy something that is truly meaningful that does not cost the earth. There is something I want to address in this episode as well. This episode is about DIY financial education and what it looks like for me. As regular listeners will know, and those who are new to the podcast, I'd like to emphasize anything you hear from me is my lived experience. I'm not a qualified financial advisor. I'm here to help spark conversations and inspiration through sharing my personal debt journey, my determination to become better educated around finance so I can question those giving me expert advice and hold them accountable to the advice they're giving me based on my circumstances. When I first started this podcast, I felt like I had to help everyone. By everyone, it's either those who would like more education around financial education and were challenged around financial education like myself and bridge the gap between those giving professional advice to those who needed to be educated. I'm now at episode 29. And what I see that is more important for me is to share my lived experience and what I'm learning in that and help those who are looking to be better educated. What that means is after asking for several episodes and even having a couple of people respond 
and suggest guest experts for the podcast, I have decided I'm not going to have guest experts, qualified financial advisors, uh, mortgage brokers, accountants, CFOs on the podcast. If this changes in the future and I decide I want to interview people, especially around financial education, I will do that in a different format, on a different podcast, or even on video. This particular podcast is about my personal journey and the learnings that are coming out of my financial education. I always love the opportunity to answer questions and will do so on the podcast. So please don't hesitate to shoot through your questions or your feedback through the link in the podcast notes. Now, I have other exciting news. This podcast was something that was really started out of an idea and accountability that I was going to push the button and get this podcast live. I'd been arming and arming about recording it for quite some time. And it wasn't until dear friend and mentor, Cliff Ravenscraft, he held me accountable. And he said, what are you waiting for? Just publish it. There's no reason not to hit publish. At the time, I still wasn't really sure what I was going to do other than just push that publish button. I did it. I pushed the publish button. And at the time, I didn't push the podcast out everywhere. I didn't follow a checklist of what to do to promote it. Because for me, I couldn't see how or why or where it really did fit. My day job as an entrepreneur is one of being a Facebook ad strategist and digital marketer. And that didn't necessarily fit with financial education. Even though I do educate people around not wasting money on advertising, it really was a very long bow to draw between the two. And as a result, I really didn't give this podcast much love other than hitting publish consistently every single Friday for 28 weeks in a row now, coming up to 29 weeks. It is something I have become increasingly determined to do, to be accountable to Cliff and to be accountable to the listeners I'm accumulating as this podcast is live. I'm still in awe of how many people are listening to this podcast. Last weekend, I went and created a website for the podcast. So now rather than just finding the podcast through your podcast directory, whichever podcast listening app you use, you can go to addingup.com.au. You will find the ability to subscribe to the podcast through RSS feed, through Stitcher, or through Apple iTunes. I'm proud of the website. There's a lot more I wish to add to it, but this is something I don't just talk about, I live, and that is pushing the button. Even when you feel like it is something that needs more work or more polish before you do. Once you've got the momentum and you are live, you can keep adding and refining from there. But I'm not going to sit in a space of no action because we don't move forward, we don't learn, we don't grow from that space. The website is live, addingup.com.au. I am realizing this particular episode is jam-packed. It's amazing what can happen in a week. Getting to our Christmas wish list of books. 
my reading list since I started this podcast. Well, in fact, I started reading these books probably a year or more before I started the podcast. They're all finance-based. What I do see really clearly is financial education does not happen overnight. Like anything, it is something that has been going over a number of weeks, months, years. The depth of knowledge is growing. It's not until I get feedback from speaking to someone and they say, my goodness, you're well read. I'm like, oh, am I? Oh, I hadn't thought of it like that. And when I sat down to write out this list of books, this is not my reading list of all the books I've read in the last couple of years. These are the ones that I deem that have been the building blocks of my financial education. I am someone who loves to be well read across a number of different niches. And words is something I love to play with. I also love to absorb them through other people and what their experiences are as well. A pivotal book that starts off this list is not necessarily financial education, but is one that I do pay close attention to because it helped to highlight my limitations around money. It helped to highlight my self-sabotage and why I would be in really good financial situations and then I wouldn't. This self-sabotage, I didn't know and I hadn't really put a name to it until I read this book and gained self-awareness. And the book is called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. This particular book helped me to identify my behaviours around money that were unhealthy. And even now, as I read other books, I keep coming back to this one as being a pivotal moment where I gained that self-awareness that I needed to work on my financial education if I was going to take my business and my personal life to the level I wanted it to go to. I wanted to rewrite my financial future. And the only way that was going to happen was to change how I was approaching money and my relationship with it. The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I will have a link in the show notes. And that kicks off this list. The next book I read around financial education is one that I saw as a great introduction to money and the concepts around financial education that can be taken as general advice. It's written by a financial advisor who has a lovely worded disclaimer about getting professional advice and to take this book as general advice. And from what I've seen around it, the media generated around it and other friends who have read it, when people take any book as specific and try to implement it without considering their own financial circumstances, they set themselves up to make things much harder than they should. This book I love because it became a framework for me to question everything in our life. And the lens with which I'd recommend anyone to read this book, which is The Barefoot Investor by Scott Pape, is to read it with a question in mind. Is this applicable to me? Every chapter I applied that sentence, is this applicable to me? 
And some of the things in the book weren't, but a lot are. Give you two examples. One example is how it wasn't applicable and one where it is absolutely applicable. The first that wasn't applicable was with regards to our health insurance. And in the book, he recommends that you get rid of all the extras because people don't use the extras when it comes to health insurance, the way the health insurance schemes are set up in Australia. Everyone gets free uh, health insurance through Medicare. However, anything that you might need, say, is elective surgery, you go on wait lists unless you have private insurance, and then you can automatically skip those wait lists and get treatment. What he's referring to is anyone that's on private health insurance, it's really um, makes financial sense to have ambulance cover. So you're covered for ambulances because ambulance cover doesn't cost too much around the, it's been a while since I've had only ambulance only cover, but it'd be around the 30, maybe 30 to $40 a month, maybe even less depending on who you are. Not a huge expense. The big expense is if you go for private health insurance with all these other extras that go on top. That is, say, paying for um, glasses or massages or weight loss programs or chiropractor or physiotherapy. It can be quite costly if you're paying for extras and they're applicable to you, such as if you're a guy and you don't remove pregnancy from those extras, you're paying for something you don't need. What I found was he said, just remove extras, only pay for ambulance and hospital cover, and you can take a couple hundred dollars and get that back in your budget each month. What I noticed with us is that by my husband and I wearing glasses, um, I get remedial massage, he goes to the chiropractor. It was actually cheaper for us to keep our extras than it was to get rid of them he was saying to put the money aside and when you need to spend the money, you've got the money there instead of putting it into the health fund. But when I ran the numbers on our circumstances, I actually kept our extras because it made financial sense to do so. That's a positive for me, which went against the general advice he was giving. The other thing which I set up as a part of reading the book was to have buckets of where our money would be allocated for our bills, for our, uh, our smile account. Uh, and then there'd also be like for holidays, like the way he sets up the accounts, you'd have to read the book to understand all the buckets you put your money into. He was saying basically splitting it up and automating as much as you can. And then you already know you've got money, especially in the splurge account. And what was your free money to spend? Incidentally, my splurge money these days goes on books which is what I started off in the podcast talking about. I see that framework as being brilliant and perfectly applicable to our circumstances. It was advice around the health insurance, which didn't suit our circumstances. This is where I would recommend to you, it's not just about learning about the books and the reading. It's about whatever you read, build on your existing knowledge and what goals it is that you want to achieve before you read those books. The next book I love and have read is by Effie Zahos, and it's A Girl's Guide to Money. It is fantastic to look at circumstances 
if you look at the Barefoot Investor by Scott Pape, it was very much broad male or female, great examples, especially if you live in Australia, that are applicable to the lifestyle we have here. A Girl's Guide to Money by Effie Zahos is very much the female perspective, which obviously resonates with me and my circumstances. And I found that to be interesting to see how she looks at things differently through the lens of women and the challenges we have around money. Loved reading that book. Some great resources in there to find money that you didn't even know you had. The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. This is a great book for anyone who feels challenged around money being a bad thing. Looking at money differently and how we earn it ethically and spend it ethically and hold on to it or not, all done with the soul of money in mind, really helped to challenge the way I was approaching money and the long-held beliefs I had around it. And there's a particular book I listened to on Audible called Unleashing the Soul of Money by Lynn Twist, which is quite practical, almost workbook style, which really helped to shift some long-held beliefs I had held around money. And after reading this book, I saw a spike in my ability to earn more money in my own business, which to this day, I'm so appreciative of and highly recommend, especially if you are an entrepreneurial spirit like myself and are struggling to look at money differently other than this thing that has bad connotations around. Thou Shall Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lappin is an incredible book. It really is more a handbook on principles to live your life by when it comes to money. I see Rabbi Daniel Lappin as being really someone who has looked at a lifestyle approach to earning money within your community. And he talks about the principles of how people do business within the Jewish community and how it can help you to look at it in a way of who is in your network and who supports you and who do you support and who do you give and who are you of service to. It's a really fascinating book. I love to learn from others who have a different upbringing, different approach to money than myself to challenge me. And this book does that in spades. Debt by David Grabner. The history of debt is one that fascinates me. How money was created in the beginning. This is a big read. It's not something that can even be done in a day. It's taken months to read. This book, however, helps you to see money and where it came from as an exchange of value between two people and how our approach to it was never one of you must have it or must not have it, but rather if you have it, it gives you the choice to get what you want in exchange for the money you're holding. The power around money, it goes into that as well. Those who hold on to more and where there is a shift in power between those who have it and those who don't. I found this helps to reframe my mindset around money as well, to really detach the emotion from it. That, again, 
after reading that book, I saw again an uptick in my income for the business as well. This transformation around being able to have it and focus on what it is I really want in life. And I don't, it's not that I actually want money, but I want the freedom from debt. Secrets of the millionaire mind. I tell you, there is something truly powerful about learning from others who are where you want to be. T. Harv Ecker, in his book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, shares how millionaires have a mindset around money. That is a consistent thing for me. The more I can see different points of view and ways in which people operate ethically around money, it helps me to shift how I've been feeling. And those long-held beliefs I have held around money are shifting as a result of reading all of these eight books. Yesterday, I'm very excited to share my next financial education book I have is called Moolala by Bruce Sillery. Moolala also is a podcast. I find I've been listening to the podcast and it is blowing my mind in many ways, mostly because I feel like Bruce and I have one mind and our passion around education, around money and making it very simple, easy, straightforward lifestyle approach for everyone to have better financial education. I'm really looking forward to sinking my teeth into reading this particular book. And I have another book on order called Stop Overthinking Your Money by Preet Banerjee. So it is to come. And in a future episode of this podcast, I will be giving my review on both of these books. If you have a financial education book that I have not already mentioned, please leave me a message in the show notes. I would love to hear from you and hear what it is you're doing to learn and grow your financial education. I find from every single book I listen to that it helps me to grow my mindset around money and focus on it. It's incredible how this helps maintain my motivation to become debt-free and to build my wealth. Continuous education is true power, but the power does not come through the reading. It's the ability to take action from the reading. Each one of these books has not just been a book that got read. I made sure I picked at least one thing from every single book and have implemented it to change my approach to money and get me closer to my goal of being debt-free and building wealth.